tonight I'm going to be reading to you a few Scottish fairy tales out of my collection. There are just a few of them that I have. I have some from all over the world, as I'm sure you may have noticed. I do like the ones from the UK the best, just me personally. Mostly, I think, because they're the ones that I'm most familiar with. Um, they're the ones that I grew up hearing from grandparents and my parents when I was very young. So, if you'd like to snuggle up, get settled in, get yourself all relaxed and comfortable wherever you are, take a deep breath in and out. Let's get started. The first story that I have tonight is The Brownie of Bloodnock. Did you ever hear how a brownie came to our village of Bloodnock and was frightened away again by a silly young wife who thought she was cleverer than anyone else? But it did us the worst turn that she ever did anybody in her life when she made the queer, funny, useful little man disappear. Well, it was one November evening in the gloaming, just when the milking was done and before the parents were put to bed, and everyone was standing on their doorsteps having a crack about the bad harvest and the turnips and what chances there were of good prices for the bullocks at the Martinmas Fair. When the queerest humming noise started down by the river, it came nearer and nearer and everyone stopped their gossip and began to look down the road. Indeed, it was no wonder that they stared, for there, coming up the middle of the highway, was the strangest, most frightsome-looking creature that human eyes had ever seen. He looked like a wee, wee man, and yet he looked like a beast, for he was covered with hair from head to foot, and he wore no clothing except for a little kilt of green rushes, which hung around his waist. His hair was matted, and his head hung forward on his breast, and he had a long blue beard which almost touched the ground. His legs were twisted and knocked together as he walked, and his arms were so long that his hands trailed in the mud. He seemed to be humming something over and over again, and as he came near us, we could just make out the words, Hey, you are drum. But I can tell you, the folk were scared. If it had been the evil one himself who had come to our quiet little village, I doubt if he would have caused more stir. The parents screamed and hid their faces in their mother's gown tails, while the lassies, the idle lassies that they were, threw down the pails of milk which should have been in the milk house long ago, if they had not been so busy gossiping and the very dogs crept in behind their masters whining and hiding their tails between their legs. The grown men, who should have known better, and who were not frightened to look the wee man in the face, laughed and hooted at him. 
Did you ever see such eyes? cried one. His mouth is so big he could swallow the moon, said another. Hexers, but did you ever see such a creature? cried the third. And still the poor man went slowly up the street, crying wistfully, Hey, you work for Ekendrum, any work for Ekendrum. Some of us tried to speak to him, but our tongues seemed to be tied, and the words died away on our lips, and we could only stand and watch him with frightened glances as if we were bewitched. Old Granny Duncan, the oldest and the kindest woman in the village, was the first to come to her senses. He may be a ghost or a vocal or a wraith, she said, or he may only be a harmless brownie. It is beyond me to say, but this I know, that if he be an evil spirit, he will not dare look on the holy book. And with that, she ran into her cottage and brought out the great leather-bound Bible, which I lay on her little table by the window. She stood on the road and held it out right in front of the creature, but it took no more heed of it than if it had been an old songbook, and went slowly on with his weary cry for work. He's just a brownie, cried Granny Duncan in triumph. A simple, kindly brownie. I've heard tell of such folk before, and many a long day's work will they do for the people who treat them well. Gathering courage from our words, we all crowded around the wee man, and now that we were close to him, we saw that his hairy face was kind and gentle, and his tiny eyes had a merry twinkle in them. Save us and help us, creature, said the old man reprovingly. But can you not speak and tell us what you want and where you come from? For answer, the brownie looked all round him and gave such a groan that we scattered and ran in all directions. And it was full five minutes before we could pluck up our courage and go close to him again. But Granny Duncan stood her ground like a brave old woman that she was, and it was to her that the creature spoke. I cannot tell thee from whence I come, he said. "'Tis a nameless land, and is very different from this land of thine. For there we all learn to serve, while here everyone wishes to be served. And when there is no work for us to do at home, then we sometimes set out to visit thy land to see if there is any work which we may do there. I most seem strange to human eyes that I know, but if thou wilt, I will stay in this place a while. I need not that any should wait on me, for I seek neither wages, nor clothes, nor bedding. All I ask is for the corner of a barn to sleep in, and a cock full of rust set on the floor at bedtime. And if no one meddles with me, I'll be ready to help anyone who needs me. I'll gather your sheep and hams on the hill. I'll take in your harvest by moonlight. I'll sing the parents to sleep in the cradles. And though I doubt you'll not believe it, you'll find that the babes will love me. I'll carry near curtains for you, godwives, and I'll bake your bread on a busy day. Well, as for the men folk, they may find me useful when there's corn to thrash or untamed goats in the stable, or when the waters are out in fruit. No one quite knew what to say to answer the creature's strange request. It was an unheard of thing for anyone to come and offer their services for nothing.
and the men began to whisper among themselves and to say that it was not Kenny, and were better to have nothing to do with him. But up spoke old Granny Duncan again. "'Tis but a brenny, I tell you," she repeated, "'a poor, harmless brenny, and many a story have I heard in my young days about the work that a brenny can do, if he be well treated and let alone. Have we not been complaining all summer about bad times and scant wages, and a lack of workmen to work the work? And now, when a workman comes ready to your hand, you will have none of him, just because he is not bonny to look on. Still, the men hesitated, and the silly young wenches screwed their faces and bolted their mouths. But Granny, they cried, and that is all very well, but if we keep such a creature in our village, no one will come near it. And then what shall we do for sweethearts? Shame on ye, cried Granny impatiently, and on all you men for encouraging the silly things and their whimsies. It's time that ye were thinking of all things than bonny faces and sweethearts. Handsome is that handsome does, is a good old saying. And what about the corn that stands rotting in the fields, and it past Halloween already? About that a brownie can stack a whole ten-acre field in a single night. That settled the matter. The miller offered the creature the corner of his barn to sleep in, and Granny promised to boil the cockful of rose and send her grandchild. We genie down with it every evening, and then, when we all said good night and went into our houses, looking over our shoulders as we did so, for fear that the strange little man was following us. But if we were afraid of him that night, we had a very different song to sing before our week was over. Whatever he was, or whatever he came from, he was the most wonderful worker that men had ever known. And the strange thing was that he did most of it at night. He had the corn safe in the stockyards, and the stacks thatched, and the clap of a hand, as the old folks say. The village became the talk of the countryside, and folk came from all parts to see if they could catch a glimpse of our queer, hairy little visitor. But they were always unsuccessful, for he was never to be seen when one looked for him. One might go into the miller's barn twenty times a day, and twenty times a day find nothing but a heap of straw, and although the cock of rose was eye empty in the morning, no one knew when he came home or when he supped it. But wherever there was work to be done, whether it was a sickly barn to be sung to, or a house to be tidied up, a corn that would not kern, or a batch of bread that would not rise, a flock of sheep to be gathered together on a stormy night, or a bundle to be carried home by some weary laborer, ache and drum, as we learned to call him, always got to know of it, and appeared in the nick of our time. I looked as if we had done all, got wishing caps, for we had just a wish, and the work was done. Many a time, some poor mother who had been up with a crying babe all night would sit down with it in her lap in front of the fire in the morning and fall fast asleep. And when she awoke, she would find that Aiken Drum had paid her a visit, for the floor would be washed, and the dishes too. The fire made up, and the kettle put on to boil, but the little man would have slipped away as if he were frightened of being thanked. The parents are the only ones who ever saw him idle, and oh, how they loved 
them away down in some corner of the burn side, crowding round the little dark brown figure with its kilt of rushes, and one would hear the sound of wondrous low, sweet singing, for he knew all the songs that the little ones loved. So, by and by, the name of Aiken Drum came to be a household word among us, and although we so seldom saw him near hand, we loved him like he was one of our own folk, and he might have been here still had it not been for a silly, senseless young woman who thought she knew better than everyone else, and who took some idle notion into her empty head that it was not right to make the little man work and give him no wage. She dinned this into our heads morning, noon, and night, and she would not believe us when we told her that Aiken Drum worked for love and love only. Poor thing, she could not understand anyone doing that, so she made up her mind that she at least would do what was right, and set us all an example. She did not mean any harm, she said afterwards, when the miller took her to task for it, but although she might not mean to do any harm, she did plenty, as senseless folks are apt to do when they cannot bear to take other people's advice, for she took a pair of her husband's old, moldy, worn-out breeches and laid them down one night beside the cock full of bros. By my faith, if the village folk had not remembered so well what Aiken Drum had said about wanting no wages, they would have found something better to give him than a pair of worn-out breeks. Be that as it may, the long and short of it was that the dear wee man's feelings were hurt because he would not take his services or nothing. And he vanished in the night, as brownies are apt to do. So Granny Duncan says, if anyone tries to pay them, and we have never seen him from that day to this, although the parents declare that they sometimes hear him singing down by the mill as they pass it in the gloaming on their way home from school. The second story that I have to read to you tonight is very short. It's called The Midwife. There once was an old midwife fetched by two little men. They took her to a house she did not know, and as they were coming in at the door, they both dipped their hands in a bowl of water, so she did the same. After that, she did her work, and a baby boy was born. Then one of the men said, Just bake us some bannocks before you go. There'll be enough to do us in the jar there. But mind and put the scrapings of oatmeal from the board back into the jar. Then they went out, and the old wife started baking the bannocks, putting the spare meal back into the jar. But the jar was never emptied. She went on baking and baking, but it was half full, just as it was at the start. And the woman on the bed said to her, It'll never be done if you put the spare meal back, fling it on the fire. She did that, and she came to the end of the oatmeal at once. The woman said, They'd have had you baking forever if you hadn't eaten me. So the men came back and took her home. Some while later, she saw one of the little men and asked him how the baby was. Do you see me? He said, with which eye? With, with the both. Did you wash your eyes out with our water? 
I just did, she did, said the old wife. Well, we'll soon cure that, he said, and he blew on her eyes, and she never saw the little fairies again. Okay. The last story that I have to read to you is called The We, We, Many, and it's done in poem format. I'll do my best to read it with the proper accent, but I hope you forgive me if I don't get it quite right. I still have a lot of fun speaking in different accents, although it's a little harder to do in a whisper. So, the wee, wee, manny. Once upon a time, when all big folks were wee ones and all lies were true, there was a wee, wee, manny that had a big, big coo. And out he went to milk her of a morning and said, Hold still, me coo, me henny, hold still, me henny, me coo, and ye shall have for your dinner what but a milk white do. But the big, big coo wouldn't hold still. Hoot, said the wee, wee many, hold still, me coo, me dearie, and fill me bucket with milk, and if ye'll be no contrary, I'll give you a goon of silk. But the big, big coo wouldn't hold still. Look at that new, said the wee, wee many. What's a wee, wee many to do with such a big contrary coo? So off he went to his mother at the house. Mother, said he, coo won't stand still, and wee, wee many can't wilk a big, big coo. Hoot, says his mother. Take stick and beat coo. So off he went to get a stick from the tree and said, Break, stick, break, and I'll give ye a cake. But the stick wouldn't break, so back he went to the house. Mother, says he, Goo won't hold still, stick won't break, we we many can't beat big, big goo. Hood, says his mother, Go to the butcher and bid him kill goo. So off he went to the butcher and said, Butcher, Kill the big, big goo, shall give us milk no more. But the butcher wouldn't kill the goo without a silver penny, so back the man he went to the house. Mother, says he, goo won't hold still, stick won't break, butcher won't kill without a silver penny, and we, we, man, can't milk big, big goo. Well, said his mother, go to the goo and tell her there's a weary, weary lady with a long yellow hair weeping for a cup of milk. So Abby went and told the coo, but she wouldn't hold still, so back he went and told his mother. Well, said she, tell the coo there's a fine, fine laddie from the wares, sitting up by the weary, weary lady with the golden hair, and she weeping for a sup of milk. So Abby went and told the coo, but she wouldn't hold still, so back he went and told his mother. Well, said his mother, tell the big, big goo, there's a sharp, sharp sword on the belt of the fine, fine laddie from the wars who sits behind the weary, weary lady with the golden hair, and she weeping for her sup of milk. And he told the big, big goo, but she wouldn't hold still. Then said his mother, Oh, run quick and tell her that her head's going to be cut off by the sharp, sharp sword in the hands of the fine, fine laddie. 
if she doesn't give the supper milk the weedy willy lady weeps for. And wee wee many went off into the big big coo. And when Goo saw the glint of the sharp sharp sword and the hand of the fine fine laddie come from the wars, and the weary weary lady weeping for a sup of milk, she reckoned she'd better hold still. So wee wee many wilked big big coo. And the weary weary lady with the golden hair hushed her weeping and got her sup of milk. And the fine fine laddie new come from the wars put by a sharp sharp sword, and all went well that didn't go ill. I like reading a lot of these short stories. I think they tell us a lot about the folklore and legends and the culture of each area that I get to read about. Now, one of the compilations that I have has uh, quite a few hundred short stories from all over the world. I have some that are from Eastern Europe, which are very interesting. I've got ones from Poland and Denmark. I've got ones from Africa and South America. And I'm very excited to work through some of these with you. There's a whole section on stories from the Middle East, and there's some from Asia, where they talk about folklore in China, and Thailand, Korea, and India. I'm very excited to read this to you as well. I hope you enjoyed the short stories from Scotland tonight, and I look forward to reading more to you. Don't forget that if you'd like to get updates about this podcast, you can always follow us on Twitter. I have the link in the description that you're welcome to use. You can always let me know if you would like a specific story to be read, or if there's a fairy tale that you really enjoy that you'd like for me to find, I'll do my best to find it for you. I'm always happy to take submissions and suggestions for what I should read, as long as it's within the public domain. I hope that by now you are very relaxed and cozy and comfortable. I would like to wish you good night, good night, and sweet dreams.